E.G. Marshall, waiting to fill your ears with the sounds of tomorrow. Some pessimists believe those sounds will be the blast of bombs and the roar of guns, the groans of suffering and the rattling chains of servitude. Personally, I take a happier view of the future, but in the story you're about to hear, those bombs have burst, those guns have roared, and the people have groaned. But this particular war of the future is over. And for Major John Gulliver of D Company Rocket Battalion, it is the beginning of a very strange sort of servitude. Major, if, if we give ourselves up, what's going to happen? We'll be interned, Private. We'll sit out this war in a prison camp. I'm afraid, Major. I, I can't help it. I'm afraid of them. The Max. There's something horrible about them. You think a refrigerator is horrible? A washing machine? That's all they are, just machines. Yeah, that's what scares me. I mean, the idea of a, a, a refrigerator or, or a washing machine with, with the power of life and death... story, Prisoner of the Machines, was written especially for Mystery Theater by Henry Slesser and stars John Lithgow. unusual about that. Man has been hurtling strange metal debris into the skies for a hundred years now, in this year of our Lord, 2085. But look again. Put your highest powered telescope on the object because you've never seen one like it before. It appears to be a soap bubble, an iridescent transparent globe. But there's something inside it. A human being. Because this, my friends, is the first experimental model of an orbital solitary station for prisoner correction, punishment, and isolation. The man inside this orbiting prison is Major John Gulliver, and Major Gulliver has nothing else to do but think. I don't know when I stopped counting the orbits. All I can do is lie against the smooth dome of my bubble prison and drift with the cosmos. My food and water tubes float about my head like friendly, mocking snakes. Some while back, I had decided to refuse their blandishments, to let hunger shrivel my stomach and thirst blacken my tongue, to cheat my jailers by dying in their death-proof cell. But the snakes had floated and coiled and mocked at my noble intentions, knowing that sooner or later I would clutch them fiercely in a loving embrace. I would eat and drink until I was sated and sick with self-disgust and fall back panting against my prison wall and sleep like the miserable, unloved infant I had become. No, I couldn't die. They wouldn't let me. It was against the code of my jailers. A law more inflexible than any written for humanity since the days of Moses. But of course, my jailers weren't human. I 
thought back to my first glimpse of it. Major, if if we give ourselves up, what's going to happen? We'll be interned, Private. We'll sit out the war in a prison camp. I'm afraid, Major. I, I can't help it. I'm afraid of them, the Max. There's, there's something horrible about them. It's all in the way you look at it. You think a refrigerator is horrible? A washing machine? Because that's all they are. Machines. Yeah, that's what scares me. The idea of a, a, a refrigerator or, or a washing machine with, with the power of life or death. But we were taken prisoner anyway. Every last survivor of Company D Rocket Battalion. And the Max, with characteristic efficiency, integrated our forlorn and splintered unit into a larger body of prisoners heading north. There were 18 of us assigned to the transport D-85, including the two Mac guards. And for a while, a rumor persisted that we were heading for the moon base itself. It wasn't true, of course. Our destination was the uncharted asteroid they call Prison One. But the rumor excited us, because it would have been the first time any of us had come face to face with the enemy on the moon. Since our outfit had been organized, we had fought nothing but Max, and never even seen a rebel. Sometimes it was hard to believe they existed at all, even if the War Department bulletins still talked about rebel ships and rebel losses. But it had been a long time since we had heard official word about anything. Major, can I talk to you? Of course, Morley. You don't have to whisper. The Max can't hear us from here. Oh, I don't know about that. For all we know, they got superhuman hearing. What's the difference? You're not plotting to take over the ship, are you? Oh, I tell you, Major, a couple of the guys were wondering. See, Henderson there, he's got a pilot's license. For what? A space buggy? You think he could pilot a transport this size? If we could get it away from our two friends up in the controls. But that's it. There are only two of them. For sure. Neither one of those Max could blast us all into talcum powder in one second flat. You know something, Major? I've never seen a Max so close before. Look exactly alike, don't they? They all look alike. They all came from the same cookie cutter. You know what Corporal Clyburn calls them? Laurel and Hardy. Funny man, the Corporal. Still, the things I hear, Major, is it true that they eat human flesh and nothing but mechanical weapons, like tanks or artillery? But they think, Major, they figure things out. I hear they're smarter than we are. Then how come the rebels had to retreat to the moon base? We're beating them, Private. We're beating them good. That's why the Max are taking prisoners now. The rebels are adhering to the old Geneva Convention rules, paving the way for leniency in case they get linked. And they will be soon. Hey, thanks, Major. You make me feel better. I'm glad I made him feel better. But I didn't. Because no matter what happened in the war on Earth and the moon, we were heading for an asteroid prison camp we knew nothing about, run by android machines. I tried to remember when I first saw a Mac. I'd never even heard of them until the night the Army Transport Hornet 
had been blown up during blast-off from the moon's Tycho Brahe station. The charge of sabotage and the subsequent confession by Pakura, the mad fanatic, was branded by the independent party of Indasia as a frame-up, an excuse to outlaw them. For the first time since the world had finally united under one system of law, there was talk of war. Nobody was really alarmed. The Indasians were famous for their robot industry, but they were all made for domestic purposes. They looked human, and they were gentle, useful machines designed to do the dirty jobs humans no longer wanted to do. But suddenly there was a different breed of android coming out of Indasian factories. The Max. Mechanical brutes, impervious to cold, hunger, fatigue, despair, and homesickness. We saw a headless Max charging our lines blindly. Armless Max, unable to hold weapons, lumbering along obedient to their programmed destiny. There were officer Max with minds trained in the arts of battle, commanding their battalions with cold logic that made no allowances for human weakness. There were engineer Max, programmed to repair damage to their mechanisms. And now it seemed there were prison camp Max. And we were their first prisoners. Seatbelts, please. We will make landfall at Prison Asteroid 1 in 10 minutes. Seatbelts, please. Prison Asteroid 1 might have been a prison compound in any country, in any war. The muddy grounds were filled with prisoners and their non-human guards. There were to be 1,400 of us on that grim rock where no walls or fences were needed to contain us all. The camp looked like a model of military penal institutions. The 26 neatly spaced barracks, a processing station, a mess hall, and administration buildings. There was a great complex that housed the oxygen-producing machinery, the hydroponic food factory, machine shops, spaceships, hangars. An intricate system of scanners covered every inch of the place, sending information back to the computer called SCAP. SCAP. Scanning, control, and movement of prisoners. Machines. Lousy bunch of bolts. Maybe they can fight, but they can't outthink us. Can you, Major? Well, maybe not. But we are the prisoners, Private. Yeah, but not for long. Not for me, anyway. Attention! All prisoners will file by counter A. Take one PSC and snap it about his wrist. Repeat. Prisoners will take one PSC from counter and snap about wrist. Prisoners failing to wear their PSC at all times will be turned off. Turned off? Do they mean killed, Major? I guess that's what they mean. So you wear that thing, Private. Yeah, but... What is a PSC? Personal speaker command, so the Macs can deliver their commands to us individually or collectively. Prisoners will remove clothing and place in disposal bin. Prisoners will then pass through disinfection room and receive clothing ration. Any prisoner causing unnecessary delay will be turned off. It was in the clothing room that I had my first disillusion about Mac efficiency. The prison uniform, consisting of fatigues, socks, thick leather shoes, a cap, and a field jacket, came in only one size. Wrong. 
When we emerged from the processing area, we filed past a Mac who was handing out barrack assignments from a clipboard list. The system was simple. I was sent to Barrack G, along with Galwest, Grady, Gunderson, Gruber, and every other prisoner whose name began with G. The system, however, had a flaw which never occurred to the mechanical brains of the Macs. Barracks G had accommodations for some 150 prisoners, but there were less than 60 of us whose names began with G. Barracks S, on the other hand, was overflowing with prisoners, some 400 of them, milling about the bunks and wondering what to do. And the situation was so ludicrous that I felt like laughing. But I was sobered up when I met Sergeant Zilkowski, and the pudgy little man grabbed my arm and babbled. They're putting me by myself, Major. They're sticking me in a barracks all by myself. Take it easy, Zilkowski. It's just temporary. They'll straighten it all out. But they won't. You know the max, Major. Once they get an idea in their heads, once they, they've been programmed, they don't change. Well, they'll have to. When they see what's happening, it's... Be all alone. Just because my name begins with Z. I won't have anybody to talk to. you got to help me, Major. you got to do something. to do something about it. I stuck my neck out. And that was the beginning of it. And here I am, floating in space, in the loneliest prison cell in history. And the worst part of the whole thing is that it was all my idea. money in a vending machine or stole their car on a freeway knows that machines can be tricky and temperamental and turn against you at any minute. But how will Major John Gulliver and the prisoners of the asteroid deal with their machinery problems? We'll find out when I return shortly with Act Two. I am Adjutant 2, General 6, Commanding Officer of Prison 1. Won't you sit down? Thank you. Our CEO has asked me to discuss an assignment with you, Major. Wait a moment, Captain. I came here to discuss a problem. Yes, Major. We received your request through proper channels. But as a result of studying your records, we discovered something about your past which is of particular interest to General 6. What do you mean? The profession in which you were engaged before the war. You were a psychologist, correct? Yes, I was college trained, University of Mental Sciences, then computer instructor at the Hayward Teaching Center. Frankly, we believe you may be useful in helping us make an adjustment to our responsibility. 
This is our first prison camp, you know. And we are anxious to conduct it along satisfactory lines. Don't you have any reb... any invasion advisors? No. The camp is entirely in the hands of the android auxiliary. And what do you want me to do? Why, help us to understand our prisoners, to run an effective, trouble-free institution. Fine. If you want my advice, let's start with your crazy alphabet system. No, no, Major. We do not wish your advice. We are satisfactorily programmed. We merely wish your help in interpreting prisoner behavior to us when it does not track properly with previous data. You understand? If you're asking me to be a spy... Nothing like that. We will plant spies, of course. That is in the manual. All we ask of you is to be our official prison psychologist. What is it, Private? I gave instructions. A guard has been attacked by a prisoner. The man was subdued and they await your orders. Turn him off. Oh, now, wait a minute, Captain. You wish to say something, Major? Yes, I thought your camp was programmed under the rules of the Geneva Convention. That is your point, Major. Well, the man has to have a fair hearing, our trial. You don't even know the circumstances. Very well, Major. Bring in the prisoner. Yes, sir. Hey, here. Well, what the devil are you doing here, Major? Oh, what did you do, Corporal? Oh, I jumped one of those lousy machines. That's what I did. He stuck his gun into my back and I jumped him. I wasn't moving fast enough for him. You admit to this assault? Sure, I admit it. You're really a fool, Corporal. Major, is that sufficient hearing for you? Private, you will take this prisoner outside and turn him off. Wait, you can't just kill him? Not if you don't want a riot on your hands? Kill him. Who said we wished him killed? Major, we do not kill prisoners. That is unthinkable. The manual strictly forbids us to kill humans in prison camp. But still, we must punish uncooperative prisoners. That is our order, too. You must tell us how to solve this contradiction, Major. Well, there's no contradiction. If you want to punish a prisoner, do what is done in human prisons. Put us in... Solitary confinement for a term. Deny us the company of our fellow prisoners. Believe me, that's punishment enough, Captain. Ask Sergeant Zolkowski. Very well. What you say seems logical. I will put the question to our commanding officer, General Six. You are dismissed, Major. I went back to my barracks and told everyone... Everyone whose name began with G. The good news. The Max had been programmed not to kill their human prisoners, except in self-defense or during escape attempts. I told them about my suggestion of solitary confinement as a punishment, but it seemed like the easiest sort of penalty. Captain 174-B sold the idea to his commanding officer, but it wasn't the solitary I had in mind. Gentlemen, your attention, please. Colonel Drummond, Major Gulliver, you and your fellow officers have been asked here to witness the first experimental model of Prison One's orbital solitary station for prisoner correction, punishment, and isolation. Your comments, please. You mean that bubble is an orbital satellite? That is correct. Surely you don't intend to send our men into orbit. It's your cruelty. Captain, you told me that you were proscribed against taking human life. 
Surely, you, you must know that no one could live in a thing like that. Incorrect. Prisoners will be supplied with oxygen, food, water, and waste disposal facilities in solitary orbit for the duration of their sentence. Your comments, please. How long do you think a man can survive in one of these things? We have consulted our commander, and our information is that a human can survive 2,800 asteroidal orbits with the oxygen, food, and water supply provided. 2,800 orbits? That's almost three months. Your commanding officer is wrong. He is not allowed for the mental and emotional strain of such imprisonment. There is nothing in the manual concerning mental or emotional strain. You are a psychologist, Major. Such things are a matter of individual human response, are they not? Your comments, please. I say you can't do this. The man would be better off dead than in one of these things. Impossible. We cannot allow prisoners to die. Captain, I am the highest-ranking officer in this camp. I demand a personal talk with your superior. Impossible. The commander has no communications mechanism with humans. Such an interface would have been superfluous. What? General Six is a computer, Colonel. Don't you understand? Oh, good Lord. That is correct. General Six is a computer, and he does not interfere with humans. The sentence will now be carried out. Prisoner 110, Corporal R. Clybourne, will be launched into orbit at 0900. Colonel, you will order all your men to fall out and observe punishment. One thing about the Max, Private. They tell no lies. I've heard talk around. I mean, some of the guys are saying that, that it was your fault. They say you're soft on the Max, that you suggested the bubble. What do you think, Private? Gee, I don't know. It's just that... Well, Major, you just... They accept them too damn easy. Oh, we've got to accept machines. We accept them all our lives, don't we? Don't you trust the mechanism of your car, your air sled, your house power plant... You can't get angry at levers, gears, integrated circuits. Who can't? I can do it, Major. I can do it easy. So, why can't you? For 11 weeks, we watched the bubble spin over our heads. A tiny, gleaming new star containing Corporal Ronald Clybourne. Or what was left of him. Then... Weary of its monotonous journey, the bubble returned, braked by its single retro rocket. It landed undamaged, and they brought Clybourne back to Prison One, singing, singing at the top of his lungs. He didn't stop singing until he died, two weeks later, in an accidental fall in the hospital ward. I'll say one thing for the Max. Their own psychology wasn't bad. There was no more trouble on prison asteroid one. But there was something else. Talk about escape. Oh, come in, Major. Sit down. You're the only man on this rock who seems to understand that the Max are only the tools of the rebels. That we're wrong to direct our aggression against them. 
There's only one sensible course now. We've got to play it cool. Keep out of trouble. Wait till the war is over. Although, of course, we are duty-bound to escape if we can. Escape? It's ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> escape from an asteroid, heaven knows where in the universe. Even if a prisoner got past Scamp, there's no place to go. No, Major. There's no use bothering about escape, Tom. But the men are bothering. Uh, it's true. That's all they're talking about. Didn't you know? No. No, I didn't. But it has to stop. We have to issue an order. You can't order them to stop talking. I'm commanding officer, Major. That's what I intend to do. And that's what he did. Colonel Drummond lined up the men, eight ranks deep, and read them the riot act. He outlined the futility of escape talk, the impossibility of a return to Earth before the end of the war. When he dismissed them, he had a separate talk with the officers, emphasizing that it was our duty to report any escape plan to him. Remember, the MACs are prescribed against killing prisoners. But they're also programmed to prevent escapes. They won't have any compunction against killing if it occurs during an escape attempt. But three weeks later came the J escape. It was called the J escape for obvious reasons. Only the occupants of J barracks were involved, led by Lieutenant Lamar Jackson. One evening, an hour before lockup, Jackson had noticed that a scanner beam on the north side of the compound, near the hangars where the spaceships were kept, failed to follow him as he crossed its path. And Jorgensen, a computer engineer, slipped out one night and examined the defective scanner. It was then that he realized they could abort the scamp system for a period of at least two hours. Jackson organized the actual escape. His idea was simple to get his men to the hangars and spaceships and hold the ships as ransom for their release. If the Max failed to agree, the ships would be destroyed. It was a desperate gamble, of course, and the first part of their plan worked. The Max had no provision in their manual for an inoperative scanner. It was supposed to work, period. General Six probably blew a dozen fuses that night as the prisoners of Jay Barracks smashed their way into the spaceship hangars like a gang of hoodlums crashing a party. But the party was over in one terrible instant because when they entered the hangars, there were no spaceships. Every transport had been dismantled. The hangars were empty. With the camp filled to capacity, the machine minds of the Max assumed they had no further need for space vehicles. And now we knew why Prison One was truly escape-proof. Because our guards were prisoners, too. Obviously, there is no escape from Prison Asteroid One. Not even the infamous Devil's Island could boast the security of this prison camp. But never underestimate the ingenuity of desperate men or the perversity of machines. You'll learn more about both when we return shortly with Act Three.
Jacobs, Jorgensen, James, and so forth. But four men were taken alive by the android guards and faced the punishment of the bubble. The terrible three-month isolation in space, which no one had yet survived with their minds all in one piece. But one of them, Lieutenant Lamar Jackson, did survive his three-month imprisonment. And his first visitor in the prison hospital was Major John Culliver. Can you talk about it, Lieutenant? Can you tell me how it was out there? It was dark, Major. Dark and full of nightmares. But you made it. You're a tough guy, Lieutenant. The whole camp's proud of you. You've got to be very still. You can't move around in that thing. Every, every little move spins you around, changes the axis. You get disoriented every few seconds. And then, then you start getting ideas that you're not alone. That something is outside the bubble, trying to get in. It's okay, Lieutenant. You don't have to tell me anymore. But, but then you get the worst nightmare that, that the thing that was outside is now inside. And it's touching you. That's when it really gets bad. I understand. You tell, you tell the boys to stay out of trouble, Major. Stay out of trouble. Stay out of the bubble. The lieutenant was crying. And his tears made me determined to keep anyone else out of that damned bubble. But the escape talk went on. One afternoon, a committee of three men came to see me. Two shaved tail lieutenants and a captain. We're crashing out, Major. You're doing what? We figure the only way to do it is en masse. The whole camp. Now, we need a leader, and we think you're it. That is, uh, if you change your mind about being reasonable with these beauties. Well, have you? You're a fool, Captain. Maybe so. And I don't think much of you either, uh, sir. But you have got something we need. You've got the ear of the max. Tell me how you plan to escape from an asteroid without ships. We don't plan to. Our idea is to overcome the max and take control of the entire prison. Now, once we have the facilities, we think we can build a radio transmitter powerful enough to beam a message to Earth and request aid. I see. And just how do you plan to overcome the max? We fight. Ah. Well, we outnumber them, don't we? We attack a group of them, take away as many weapons as we can, and attack the rest. Some of us live, some of us die. If enough of us survive, we get off of this rock. We wouldn't have a chance. What we need is organization, a strategy, a, a battle plan. We need somebody to pull this whole thing together. This is a job offer, Major. Captain, don't you realize the odds are a thousand to one? Why do it? Why can't you sit it out? The war's almost over. Why get killed now? We think the war is over, Major. What? Wilcox here is a radio man. Now, a couple of months ago, we asked the Max permission to build a receiving station. They agreed, under one condition. That we receive only broadcasts from the moon and the vicinity. From the rebels. Well, we didn't get much. A few faint signals from space traffic. And they hear the propaganda broadcasts. Well, they had some pretty good music sometimes. But then the music stopped. 
Everything stopped. Well, maybe your set went on the blink. No, 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 no. It was fine. They're just not sending signals from the moon anymore, Major. And I think it's because the war is over. Captain, can you make that receiving station more powerful? Sure. If we had the parts. Well, maybe I can get the parts. I got the parts without much trouble. The Max had no objections about receiving stations, only transmitters. I made promises about prisoner cooperation and got the material that helped us build a receiver with three times the capacity of the original. But we heard nothing from the moon base. Nothing at all. And then... It, it's Morse, Major. It's good old Morse language. It's got to be from an Earth vehicle. Coming from where? The vicinity of the moon. It has to be. Wait, wait, wait. I can make out a little... There's something about a delivery, uh... Provision. Provision. Hey, sir. That isn't a military vehicle. It's a commercial vessel. They're delivering provisions... To the moon base. Lord. Heading for the moon. And it's true. They have given up. The war is over. Colonel, it's the truth. The war is over. It's been over for months. And yet we're still prisoners of the map. How do you know this? We picked up radio talk from Earth. The moon base doesn't exist anymore. Neither does the invasion army. They're all gone. Wiped out to the last man. All right, all right. Let's say that's true. In due course, the Max will disband Prison One and return our men to us. Really? Who'll give them orders, Colonel? Don't you understand? Their masters are gone. The Max won't do it on their own. They're programmed to run a prison camp, period. They'll never let us go. I don't believe that, Major. Yeah, but the men believe it. That's more important. That's why they're planning a massive uprising. They can't do that. It's suicidal. That's what it amounts to, yes. Well, we can't let that happen, Major. It's our responsibility to keep these men alive. Fine. Only how do we stop it? There's only one way. We can tell the Max. Are you crazy? They'll have the ringleaders in those bubbles before the day is out. It's not too high a price. I'm going to them right now. Colonel, wait. Don't try to stop me, Major. Colonel, something just struck me. The way you've been taking all this. The way you've been taking all your responsibilities. You don't look one bit different. No gray hairs, no lines on your face. Nothing. Let go of my arm, Major. What's in this arm, Colonel? Bones and muscles and blood? Or steel rods and wires? <laughs> Lubricating oil? No! How are you feeling? I'm fine, considering your guards took half my head off. Your head is all in one piece, Major. You may take my word for it. The worst damage was self-inflicted when you tried to strike Colonel Drummond. You mean Android Drummond, don't you? How did you discover the secret? It was our belief that the Colonel was a fine humanoid specimen indetectable from the real... Thing. Uh, he looked human, all right. He just didn't act human. Well, what time does the balloon go up? I beg your pardon. I expect my bubble is waiting for me. There will be no punishment, Major Gulliver. 
In destroying our secret agent, you merely acted in the interest of your men. Incidentally, you are now the highest ranking officer among the prisoners. The war is over, Captain. I've told you that a thousand times. We still have no such information. We cannot release the prisoners without a direct order. But you can't get any orders from the moon base. They're all gone. Commanding Officer General Six will receive the instructions. Until then, we go on as we have. I want to see him. I want to see your commanding officer. General Six does not interface with humans. I'm not just a human. I'm the highest ranking officer, remember? I insist, Captain, and if I'm denied, you won't get any more cooperation from me. You can send me up in the bubble for the rest of my life. Very well, Major. I will arrange for you to see General Six. I was brought into the majestic presence of General Six by a brace of Mac soldiers and Captain 174B. I had never seen a Mac computer before, and it was an awesome sight. General Six required a housing of several thousand square feet, and he, I mean it, towered to a height of 16 feet. The room it occupied was eerily lit by its own diodes. That was the only illumination, since the Macs, requiring no light sensors for vision, didn't use artificial lighting. Captain 174B himself stood at the console control board, his fingers poised lightly over the keyboard. Very well, Major. You may ask your question of the commander. Ask it. Ask him if he has any means of contacting Invasion Supreme Headquarters. The answer is yes. Ask him if he can make such contact now. The answer is no. Ask him if he knows why this contact is no longer possible. The answer is yes. Contact is no longer possible because of destruction of moon base and annihilation of all Indian forces, bringing an end to hostilities. You see, it's true. Now, ask General Six if he will issue orders for the immediate release and transportation to Earth of his prisoners. The answer is... Prison One will be maintained until orders to the contrary are received directly from Supreme Headquarters according to Section 5 of the manual. But that's insane. The war's over. Finished. There is no Supreme Headquarters. Audience is over, Major. Then you hear his reply. The war is over. Your masters are dead. You don't have any reason to keep us we here. Just wait for instructions from Headquarters, Major. Please obey my order and leave. <laughs> Failure to comply will place you in jeopardy of punishment. You can't keep us here for the rest of our lives. Kill. No. Look out. Don't let him grab that rifle. Stand back. Major, don't be foolish. You can't kill us. No. I won't kill you all, Captain. Just... Your commanding officer! And so, I was condemned to my dark little prison, where I flirted with the cosmos for three long months. And when I came down, I was insane.
have been insane. Because when the bubble landed, I saw the Max standing about like so many statues. And their human prisoners roaming about free and unfettered and exhilarated. I saw faces smiling at me, laughing. I hadn't heard the sound of laughter in years. There could only be one explanation. I was mad. No, Major, no. You're okay. We're all okay. But what happened? It was only a week after the launch, you see. The Max were going nuts trying to repair the damage to their mechanical commanding officer. They didn't know how. They got so desperate they called in some of our guys, see, computer engineers, just to help them. Well, our guys went to work, all right. They rigged General Six to give one order. The only one that mattered. Turned off. They were told to turn themselves off. That's it, Major. We turned them off. We pulled out the plug of the machines. <laughs> and now Wilcox is rigging up a transmitting station big enough to contact the Earth. Hey, we're going home. We did go home. I got married and had three children and no robot servants. Not for a while, anyway. Eventually, my wife convinced me I was being foolish and we purchased two domestic robots. One a superb cook and children's nurse. The other a hard-working general housekeeper. <laughs> I named them Laurel and Hardy. And someday, I might even stop being afraid of them. And so, Major John Gulliver and his men are back on Earth. Back where it all began. Will machines one day destroy us? Of course not. We can handle them. Or can we? I'll be back shortly. Some wise man once said, one machine can do the work of 50 ordinary men, but no machine can do the work of one extraordinary man. We think that's going to be true in the future as it has been in the past. The question is, what will the machines think now that we've given them brains? We may well be entering the age when man's own inventions will be in conflict with man himself. Our cast included John Lithgow, Ian Martin, Earl Hammond, and Ray Owens. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. If you feel you can't, well, you can't. But as I said, you're in no real danger now, and you won't be until he brings up that little matter of insurance. <sighs> Jane, you can do it. You must. I... <sighs> All right. Good girl. And one thing more. Yes? He doesn't remain long in one place. He kills and runs, you might say. Now, he'll probably suggest leaving Detroit and going somewhere else. If he does, and we're positive, he will. Go along with him. Don't cross him. Don't ever 
across him. One false move could mean sudden death, Jane. Sudden and agonizing death. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams.